0: and I'm glad that you're here to be a part of it. Uh, this is uh, this message. I think is one of those that, um, if we can grab hold of it, it can change us. But I'm going to tell you this: it's one of those things that we're going to continue to grapple with. And we're looking at the secret of contentment. So if you were given a worship guide when you came in, there's a notes insert in there. If you want to follow along and fill in blanks, um, you just go for that. So before we before we dive into that though, can I ask you a couple of questions? Is that okay? So you just asked one, so I'm gonna ask you two more. Here's the first one, and before you raise your hands or anything like that or answer out loud, uh, let it sink in. The question is this: Are you happy? Now, on the surface, your answer might be, "Yeah," because if I came up to you and I said, "Hey, how's it going?" or "How you doing?" What's our default answer? Good or I'm fine. And most of the time, that's just like that's BS, right? Because we're not. We're not fine. We're not good. And you may be in certain areas of your life, but you probably have some area of your life where you're not happy. And maybe it's down at a deeper level. Maybe it's one that you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to talk about in this kind of gathering. So the next question is a follow-up to that, and that is what would it take to make you happy? So you we say, well, there's some areas I am happy, others I'm not. What would it take to make you happy in, in maybe those other areas? What was what what the thing that's missing? Because I think if we asked most people, um, whether we're talking about our part of the, of the country or, or around the United States, if we ask them the question, are they happy, if they were really honest, they would say no. And the answer of what would it take to make you happy would be more. And it would be, uh, if you're unhappy in your finances, it'd be more money. If you're unhappy in, maybe in your marriage relationship, it might be uh, more affection or more quality time. It's always more. Okay, Now, I, I started with this question of are you happy, and, and in the first week of this series, Pastor Kevin talked about how happiness and joy, we often confuse the two, but they're not the same thing, uh, because happiness can be a bit of a moving target. It's that idea of more, because once you get more, then, then there can always be more beyond that, right? You can, do you ever really get enough? Do you get all of it? Proverbs 27.20 says this, human desires, and that's that idea of more, are like the world of the dead. There's always room for more. Now, that's a lovely thought to start our Sunday morning. It's like the world of the dead, right? It's like uh, it's there, we're not running out of places to stick people in the ground. It, there's always room for more. That's what human desires are like. It's an ever-expanding thing, and that's how it is. When you meet a desire, once a desire is met, almost inevitably the desire will grow for more. It's like I have the desire for a slice of apple pie. Anybody with me this morning? If you take it, if I had here nice, hot, you can smell it in your mind, right? I need a slice of apple pie. But I don't know about you, but when I have a slice of apple pie and I meet that desire, that desire grows because then I want a second slice of apple pie or fill in the blank, whatever it is. Once you meet a desire, almost immediately it grows. It does. That's how it is. There's always room for more. And that's one thing that that Pastor Kevin told us is that yesterday's contentment, and we're talking about the secret of contentment today, yesterday's contentment is tomorrow's complaining. You get enough of it, you're like, oh, this is great. But time goes on and something changes, and then you'll find yourself complaining about the very thing that you were once so content with because human desires grow. There's always room for more. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, You will never be satisfied if you long to be rich. You will never get all you want. And you can take that word rich and you can put whatever word you want in there. If you've got to have that to be satisfied, you're never going to get all you want. Because once you meet the desire, the desire is going to grow. So how do we do this? How do we find this contentment, this satisfaction Because real, here's the thing: true contentment, it's wanting what you have, not seeking after what you want. Now that's the whole message. If you needed to go early, you can leave now. You've got that's, that's the whole thing right there in a sentence. But say, Carrie, okay, I get that's what contentment is. How do I do that? We'll get to that later. And the Apostle Paul in the Book of Philippians, and this is the book that we're working through in this series, he said that he had the secret of contentment. Here's what it says in Philippians 4:10 through 13. He says, "How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know that you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me." Now he's writing to this church in Philippi. They had given to him financially to support him because he was a missionary who traveled, and he's now writing this missions letter back. It's like a report to those who had supported him. Now, a lot of times when you send a missions letter like that, you're actually saying, hey, this is what's going on. Um, You know, if you can continue to support me, that's great, but really I want your prayers. And I don't know if you've ever had to go on a trip like that and ask for support on a mission trip. But you always say, if you can support me, that's great, but really what we really want is your prayers. And that's usually a lie because what you really want is their money. And if they can pray for you, that's great, too. But, you know, the Benjamins, that's what makes the difference. But he says, I don't need it. And you can debate whether or not he was being fake here. I don't think he was because it's in the Bible. But he's writing that letter. Now, about a year ago, the church that Pastor Kevin's visiting this morning, Ridgeland, they sent us a letter saying, hey, here's what's going on. And, you know, this is kind of where the situation we're in. And, uh, y- you know, if you could pray for us, that's what we really need your prayer. I mean, if you can support us. That'd be. They needed the money they asked for the prayer now we're, ever, actually, he was taking money today to give to them. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome that we get to be a part of that? A year ago, Kevin told me, say, a year ago we couldn't do that. Today we could. Okay, so we were able to do that. So he says, you didn't have the chance to tell me He says this, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content. That's a huge word. With whatever I have. I know how to live on almost Nothing. Or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I've learned the secret of contentment. Now let me give you a few observations on this before we move on. The first thing is this contentment is learned. This isn't in your notes, but contentment is learned. It's learned. He says, I have learned how to be content, because our default out of the womb as as even as little kids is discontentment. It's always, whatever I have, I want what somebody else has, or I want more of it. You give a kid a toy, and another kid has a toy, and all of a sudden he's not happy with that toy, he wants that toy instead, right? And it's the same thing as, as we get older, right? I get a new car, you get a newer, nicer car. I loved my car till I saw your car, and then I'm like, why did I settle for this thing? You know, and so you go, this whole thing. Contentment is learned, and you learn it. Here's the second thing. You learn it when you go through tough times, that's when you learn contentment. You don't learn contentment when you've got more than enough. That's not when you learn it. So some of you are saying right now, okay, man, everything's great. I got more than I need. I'm so content. You hadn't learned contentment yet. You got more than you need. Contentment is learning how to live with whatever you have say. No, no, okay, that's not fair. But the Apostle Paul had been through tough times, right? We've already looked at that in the first two messages. He's writing this letter from prison. He had been through tough times, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, all of these things. He had been through tough times. And he said, I've heard, learned how to live on almost nothing. That means he had lived on almost nothing. He had lived with everything. So he had had it kind of the fat times and the lean times. He said, I've lived in every situation with a full stomach or with an empty stomach. He learned contentment when he went through the tough times. And then here's the, another thing, and you've got to get this. When you learn contentment, it removes the lid on achievement. What does that mean? That means that there is nothing that you cannot accomplish that God wants you to accomplish right now with what he has given you right now. That's that's the truth. You can't. There's nothing that God wants for you that he has not already given you. Say, okay, maybe I need some advancement in my career. I need my marriage to be better. God has given you everything you need to accomplish or to have everything he wants for you right now. Everything. So when you understand that contentment removes the lid on achievement, that means you stop saying, if I only had this, then I could do that. Man, I really think God wants me to do that, but I just don't have this. Trust me, if God wants it for you, he has given you everything you need to do it. If God wants you to have it, he has given you everything you need. You say, well, I don't have it yet. Well, it could either be that God doesn't want it for you, maybe ever, maybe yet. Or maybe that he has given you all the tools that you need. You say, man, I wish I had a better marriage. Trust me, he has given you all the tools you need to have a great marriage. It's all there. It's all there. Maybe you're not working it, but it's all there. So let's talk about what contentment is and isn't, because contentment is not just apathy. It's not saying I don't care anymore. It's not uh, complacency. It's not laziness. You see a guy, and he's in his uh, late 20s, and he spends all day in his in sweatpants in his mom's basement playing video games, and you think, man, that guy is so content. He's not content. He's lazy, okay? He has no ambition, all right? That, that's not contentment. It's not apathy and laziness. It doesn't mean that you don't have ambition. Because that's the thing contentment is not a lack of ambition, it's a lack of selfish ambition. There's nothing wrong with wanting more of what God wants for you. There's nothing wrong with pushing forward. As a church, we want to reach more people that don't know Jesus, who haven't received new life in Christ. There's nothing wrong with that ambition because it's not selfish. It's not a lack of ambition. It doesn't mean you just sit around and go, well, I guess this is all I'm ever going to be. It's all I'm ever going to have. I'm just going to have a, I'm going to be broke. I'm going to have a bad marriage. I'm, no, it's not a lack. It's a lack of selfish ambition. Contentment is this internal satisfaction that doesn't require a change in external circumstances. It's an internal satisfaction. So regardless of what happens on the outside of you externally, you have an internal satisfaction. See, I'm, I'm, I'll just tell you this. If there's anybody on the planet who struggles with contentment, it's Carrie Weaver. I do. I struggle with it. Because uh, like right now, Sarah and I are in the middle of, of remodeling a house that we just bought and we're really, something we love to do. I love to do it. I've got lots of tools. I like to have nice tools. And I, I'll look at all my tools I go, man, I'm really, really blessed. I've got all this nice stuff. And then I go Lowe's and I go in that tool department and I'm like, They got a new model of miter saw. I hadn't seen that one. It's got a laser. I need a laser, Sarah. So I tell Sarah. Mine doesn't even have a laser. How can I cut a board without a laser? Anybody, can I get a witness on that? How can I do this, gentlemen? I can't. This is, and I'm suddenly, my contentment vanishes. Poof, where did it go? Where did it go? It's a struggle. It's a fight, right? You'll get something and you're satisfied, but today's contentment is tomorrow's complaining. Man, this old saw, I, it cuts crooked. I, can't, I don't even have a laser. But I've got, I should have this internal satisfaction that doesn't require a change in my external circumstances. Everything around me doesn't have to fall perfectly into place for me to be satisfied with who I am and with what God has given me, what he has entrusted me with. You see, you can have this kind of satisfaction. You can you can have this kind of satisfaction financially. You say, well, man, I really wish I had more. I, really, I mean, I'd love, to, I'd love to get out of debt, and I'd love to do this and that. And just, man, I just, but I, I don't. I'm just, I'm so discontent with that. I say, I need to, well, Carrie, how can I be satisfied with that? Well, I need to stop and look at what God has given me. What has He interest? How am I using what he's given me now? Is there a possibility that I didn't use what he gave me well now, and that's what got me into the situation I'm in? It's okay, I wish I had a better marriage. Man, if he would just stop doing this and this and this. If he would show me more affection, if he would give me more time, if he would do all that, then I could be satisfied. I, can you have an internal satisfaction of knowing that you are loving your husband the way God's called you to? Gentlemen, can you have an internal satisfaction of loving your wife and giving sacrificially, laying down your life for her the way God's word tells us to? Can you, I can be satisfied Even if nothing else changes. Because truthfully, before we learn how to be content, we have to look at what the enemies of contentment are. Because I just said it's a struggle, it's a fight, right? You think you've got it, you're kind of satisfied, you look around and go, everything's pretty good. And then you wake up tomorrow and it's like everything changed. And I'm not happy with this or this or this anymore. Because we have enemies. God's Word says that we have an enemy. The devil who is attacking us, he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the things that he wants to steal from your life is your contentment. And if he can get you discontented, you'll make all kinds of bad decisions trying to get more, trying to fix your life, trying to get everything into place. And he'll lie to you, and you'll believe it. he's an enemy. And I'm going to give you three uh, enemies of contentment. These are things that, that, that attack all of us. And the way we're going to see it is from a story that Jesus told in the book of Matthew chapter 20. There was a man, and he had some work to be done in the field. So he went out to hire some day laborers. And so he went early in the morning to hire some good, uh, some good hands, some good laborers. And he went early because he thought, well, the guys who are really motivated, who have some ambition, they're going to be there early. So he hired a good crew of guys, brought them in. He said, listen, guys, I'm going to pay you a day's wage at the end of the day. Go, go to work in the field. And they did. And then about 9 a.m. he went back because he needed more help. There were still some guys there. He said, hey, come on in. At the end of the day, I'm going to pay you whatever's right. You're like, man, that's great. He went back again at noon. He went back again at 3 p.m. He went back at 5 p.m. It's like an hour before the whistle blows and the day's over. And he says the same thing to all of them. Hey, come work in my fields, and at the end of the day, I'll pay you whatever's right. So they come, and they go to work. And they work, and then it's, it's quitting time, and it's time for everyone to get paid for their day's labor. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in Matthew 20 and verse 8. So here's what it says. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them. And he says beginning with the last workers first. And that's what's going to cause the problem, just to let you know. He pays the last workers first, the ones hired at 5 p.m. It says this, when those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. Hallelujah. This was the best day of their year. What? I worked like an hour. That dude paid me all day. These guys are thrilled with it. They're the only ones thrilled with it. Everyone else is upset about it. And that's the first thing that's an enemy of contentment is expectations. You expect more than you get. How many of you have ever expected more than you got? Just me and two other people. It happens to me all the time, right? You expect more than you get. And that's what happened to them. Verse 10 says this, when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed, and we all know what that does. Right? They assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. And they suddenly felt ripped off. Because they saw the guys who had only worked an hour get paid a full day's wage. So they started assuming. And here's how that looked. They pulled out their iPhones. They, They went to the calculator. And they said, those fools worked an hour and got paid a day's wage. I worked all day. Oh, man, I'm not going to have to work again for a month. This guy's about to. They assumed they would get more because the other guys did. And they had expectations that weren't met. In the book of James, it tells us that that's actually the beginning of all conflict. We have an expectation. It's not met. We're unhappy. That could be the definition of unhappiness is an unmet expectation. It happens in our, in our relationships. We expect the other person in the, any relationship we expect them to do something they don't do. We expect them to give more of something than they give. And now we're suddenly unhappy. We're discontent. We lose our joy in that moment because we expected more than we get. And that's, one, that's an enemy of contentment. It's like, here, what do I do with that? Does that mean I just bottom out all of my expectations? I just always expect the worst? I always assume everybody's going to rip me off? No. It means you begin to manage your expectations based on who you are in Christ. They, they felt ripped off. So, and that's, that leads us to the, the second enemy, which is comparison. It's you think others get more than you. Verse 11 says this, when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us. They protested. This isn't, this isn't right. They begin to compare, and that is an enemy of contentment. We all do it. That's that whole idea. I get uh, the new to me car that's maybe like six or seven years old, but it's finally one I could afford. I financed it for ninety seven months, and you know, my kids aren't gonna go to college, but I finally got a car. And then you roll in with the brand new one the day after, and I start comparing. Does that one have Bluetooth? Yeah, mine doesn't have Bluetooth. Oh, your saw has a laser? That's nice. My saw doesn't doesn't have a laser. We start to compare, and suddenly what we have it just looks like garbage. I got paid off. I worked a day and I got paid for a full day. Oh, that's the worst. I mean, that guy only worked an hour. He's getting more than I am. I'm getting ripped off. I'm telling you this, you go all the way back to the garden. And God said, "You can eat of all this. Don't eat that one tree." And then the enemy came and he said, God's holding out on you. You deserve to eat of that. It's not the truth. And you start to compare. And, and somehow, Adam and Eve looked at every possible fruit and vegetable option that had ever been. And it all looked like garbage compared to that one tree. And comparison, it robbed their contentment. And we do that, we start to compare what we have to what someone else has. We think, why are they getting more? I work harder than they do. I work more than they do why why does he Why does she have a better looking husband than I do? Right? <laughs> Look at her. I'm way better looking than her. And you start to compare we compare the craziest things. That's not even right. And it robs our contentment. I can't be satisfied with what I have looking at what you've got over there. It's just not right. And then that leads to the third. The third enemy, and that's envy. These kind of build on each other. Envy, and that's where you resent what someone else has. It starts to take root in you. It goes beyond just an expectation that wasn't met, and now a comparison. Well, I got this, and they got all that. And then now you start to envy. Man, I wish I had what they have. I wish I was given what they were given. He answered them in verse 13. He says, "Uh, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? And they're like, "Uh, well, I mean, technically. But take your money and go. The protest did not work here. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Well, no, no, no. I mean, you can do whatever you want with your money. Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? And now those guys are all about this tall. Should you be jealous because I'm kind? I'm going to tell you this. They were looking at it and they were going, man, this isn't fair. But grace and generosity are never fair. That's the nature of grace and generosity. It's not fair. See, we begin to look at it and we go, what's not fair? I I deserve this. They deserve that. It's just, it's not fair. It's not fair. Trust me, fair, you don't want what's fair. Do Do you really want what is Fair. In every situation, do you want what's, what's fair? So yeah, yeah, let's just equal it all out. So uh, every time you exceed the speed limit, by even, you get a speeding ticket every time, that's fair. right? Every time. OK, you're late to work. What's fair, you're, it's a habitual. So your boss lets you go, you get the pink slip. I mean, it's fair. So Carrie, no, you're talking all the negative, fair. That's how it goes. You don't want what's fair. Trust me, you want the grace and the generosity. What is fair for you and I as sinners before God is for us to spend eternity separated from him, eternal death separated from him because of our sin. That's, that's fair. What we're getting, we're getting way more than fair. And we start to be envious of what somebody else has because we think it's not fair. I'm going to tell you this, man. Fair went out the window in the garden. The garden was fair. It was beyond fair, and we tried to get more. We tried to get more, and we become envious. Proverbs fourteen thirty says, A relaxed attitude lengthens life, but jealousy or, or envy rots it away. And that's exactly what envy does. We start to resent what someone else has, and it's like a cancer in us, and it eats us alive. We can't possibly enjoy what we have because we're spending all of our time being ticked off at you for having what you have. And we're envious. I'm telling you, envy doesn't just want greener grass on my side of the fence. Envy wants your grass to turn brown. That's what envy does. It's like, man, it's, look, their grass is so much better. But that guy's out there working. He fertilizes. He waters. What do you do? You mow it like once a month. I just, well, yeah, I mean, if I had grass like that, I'd take care of it. But envy starts to say, no, I wish I had that grass, and I wish his would turn brown. I hate that guy. You start to resent other people for what they have start to do that so how can i learn to be content what's it going to take i've got three words for you and they're like packed words though okay the first one's stewardship it's a word we really only use in church kind of means management it means taking good care of stewardship it's understanding that everything on this planet belongs to god he made it he gets say over it it's all his and so he has given me everything that i need because if god wants it for you we said that earlier he's given you what you need to have it already That's how God, God's not some sort of a trickster that says, I really want you to have this and this, but I haven't given you what you need to accomplish it. Good luck with that. No, he gives you everything you need to accomplish it, to achieve it, to possess it. He's given you everything you need. So stewardship is saying everything belongs to God and everything he has given to me, he's given me only what I need, but he has also given me everything that I need. So I'm going to use it well. First Timothy 6, 7 through 8 says, We didn't bring anything with us when we came into the world. True? And we certainly cannot carry anything with us when we die. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Man, that is a really low bar. Enough food and clothing. Let us be content. It, it, you can say, well, Carrie, is there more to it than food and clothing? Just think of it this way. If your needs are met, be content. My needs are so far beyond being met. They really are. Even without the laser on my miter saw, I have got everything that I need because I have everything God wants for me. If he wanted it for you, he would have given it to you. So I I just feel like I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to move out. Then he has probably given you everything you need to move forward into that next step in your life. It's just a matter of you being a good steward and using what he has given you. But we don't. We we don't want to do the work a lot of times. We just want to like God, we think he's got a magic wand or something and poof, he gives us a, a better life. But he gives us everything we need in this moment to do everything he wants us to do in this moment. I believe that with all my heart. So if we have our needs met, let us be content. That internal satisfaction So I don't have to get more in order to be happy, in order to be filled with joy. And that's the second word, it's gratitude. Gratitude. See, if everything belongs to God, then I will be thankful for what I have instead of wanting what others have. Or you could say, I will be thankful for what I have instead of wanting what I don't. You see, if God has given you everything you need to do everything that he wants you to do, then you understand that. That's why it takes the lid off of achievement. We said that earlier. Because now you can't say, well, if I just had this, then I could do that. I know God wants me to do this, but I don't have what I need. That's not true. You have it. So it takes the lid off. There's nothing that you can't accomplish within what God wants you to do because he's given you everything you need. So you get grateful for it. You stop looking at all the things you don't have because I'm gonna tell you this, you can't do anything with what you don't have. That's deep. You can't do anything with what you don't have. But you can do everything God wants you to do with what you do have, so you get grateful. You do. Ecclesiastes 6 9 says, Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Enjoy. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. You'll never catch it, you'll never get enough. If you get that next thing, trust me, it's going to get old, it's going to get tarnished, there's going to be a new model enjoy what you have. There's another translation of that verse that says, it's better to see what you have than to want more. And I think that's a, a there's a lot of depth there. Because when we get discontented, we don't even see what we have anymore, do we? We overlook it. Or we start seeing it in a different light. We just stop seeing it. We stop enjoying it. Because we're looking at what we don't have. We're chasing after the wind. And God's saying, no, 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 you can enjoy what I've given you. I've given you everything you need. I've given you everything you need. Psalm 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. I love that promise. But that's one of those promises that if you understand that when you begin to take delight in the Lord and to really enjoy your relationship with God and to really seek after him, something happens to your desires. They begin to change. And they start looking like you wanting what he has given you. You start to see what you have differently instead of chasing after the wind. You start to see that car you have. You start to see all that stuff you have. You start to see the wife of your youth differently. You see her the way you saw her when she walked down the aisle. You start to see what you have. Because you're taking delight in the Lord, and he gives you the desires, your heart's desire. But your heart's desire, it changes and it shifts. And this, when this happens, when when you begin to use what he's given you well, that stewardship, and when you begin to get grateful, then it's so easy to do the third thing, and that's surrender. Surrender. I surrender my desires and my life and my heart to God. Think of it this way. If everything belongs to God, I will be thankful for what I have instead of wanting what I don't. And I will surrender my desires in my life and my heart to God. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. But surrender requires a sacrifice. Surrender usually means to give up, right? You throw your hands up in the air, say, I give up. I give up and okay, we live in the United States of America. We never surrender. We never retreat. We never give up. No, no, I give up. What am I giving up? I'm giving up my desires for more than I have. I'm giving up the endless chasing after the wind. I'm surrendering. I'm giving all that to God. I'm going to surrender to Him because surrender always requires a sacrifice. It means I'm going to sacrifice what I could go after, so that I can enjoy what God has given me. You can go for more, you can. You can keep trading in your car to get a better one and a better, you can keep going for more, you can. You can trade in your spouse, you can try to get a younger model. You can do it, you can go for more and you will sacrifice what you have to get more but trust me, the more is like chasing after the wind or you can sacrifice what you could go after in order to enjoy what God has given you, which is exactly what you need. There's never more out there that's gonna satisfy. If you can't be satisfied with what God has entrusted you with now, trust me, there's nothing else that's gonna quench that thirst. It's just gonna leave your mouth dry. And you're gonna find yourself looking back over your life and going, I sacrificed all of that for this. No, no, no. I'm going to surrender what I could go after. I'm going to surrender it to God. I'm going to sacrifice that because surrender always requires a sacrifice. I mean, here's the thing. Jesus sacrificed literally his life so that he could bring us in. But if you guys remember, in the garden, he's praying, and he's so stressed. It says that he, it's, he sweat what was like drops of blood. And he's so stressed in this moment, and he's crying out to God in and, and He says, Father, if there is any other way then let this cup of suffering pass from me. If there's any other way than me going to the cross and becoming the sin of everyone, let's go with that plan. But then he he sacrificed. And he surrendered. And he says, nevertheless, not my will, not what I want, not what I could go after, not what I could be. Jesus could have become king. He could have led a revolution. They could have overthrown the, the Roman government. He could have become a king in that moment. Nevertheless, not what I want. I'm going to sacrifice that, your will. I'm gonna, that's what Jesus did for you and for me. I'm going to tell you this. When you sacrifice and surrender what you could go after to enjoy what you have, you find everything that God has for you. You find true, lasting, internal satisfaction and contentment. You find real joy. The people with the least joy that I meet are the people that are always pursuing something more, something that seems out of reach. They feel as though they've been let down, that God's holding out on them, that this life isn't fair. This life isn't fair. That's why we come to Jesus and receive his grace and his generosity. So, this morning, as we take a moment to respond, Let me ask you a couple questions. The first one I would say is this. Um, Are you content? After hearing this message, and I'm listening to myself as I say it, I go, holy cow, I'm really not that content. Like I can see so many areas in my life where I am not managing what God's given me. I'm trying to get something else and use it instead. I'm going after more. Are you content? If your answer is no, you can learn this. It's actually going to begin with that surrender. Maybe you're in the room today and, and you've been pursuing, uh, trying, trying to be good on your own, trying to, to go after a life that's apart from God. And today you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to surrender to him for the very first time. You need to realize that he came for you. He loves you. He wants to, he wants to bring you in. He wants to forgive you of your sins, give you new life. Maybe that's you today. As we pray, just, just respond to God in whatever way he's spoken to you. Father, today we love you. And God, we thank you for loving us and for sending Jesus for us. I pray that um, as this word has been spoken, that you have spoken to hearts. God, help us to learn to be content. God, help us to, to use what you've given us well to be good stewards. God, give us a grateful heart as we surrender our desires to you, because God, this fight isn't over. The enemies are gonna keep coming back and trying to rob our contentment, but I pray that in those moments where we start to look and we start to look around for more, for something else, for something bigger and better, that we'll stop and we'll see what you've given us in that moment. God, help us to see our spouses in a new light today, God, the way you see them to love them sacrificially. God, help us to see uh, the, the houses where we live or the apartments or whatever our situation is, our cars, our stuff, our children, our jobs. God, help us to start seeing it through your eyes and to say, regardless of what happens on the outside of me, I can have an internal satisfaction today. And God, if there's anyone in the room that today you're speaking to their heart and you're calling them out of their sin today, I pray that they will just confess that they are sinful on their own And that they need you to forgive them and to give them new life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.